We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's going on everybody happy saturday welcome into this all new episode of the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl thanks so much for joining me today we are getting closer and closer to packer saints home opener there is always something special in the air in green bay when it's the home opener i don't know what it is it's just a it's a feeling it's a buzz it's tangible it's real and it just gets a little extra exciting in town when there is that first home game of the season so cannot wait to be there on sunday Let's kick things off right away, though, with the Packers and Saints updated injury reports. As I'm recording this, we just got the official designations. Let's start with the Packers side of things, where just when it feels like maybe they're starting to get some guys back and maybe get a little bit healthier, I don't even know what to say here, but Jair Alexander gets added to the injury list with a back injury, and he is listed as questionable. Now, he did practice. When I was there for the open part uh, of warmups and stretching, he seemed to be in good spirits. It didn't seem like there was any major issue, but it's not so much, and I mentioned this the other day as well, it's not so much that you have a handful of injuries. It's that your handful of injuries are all pro Jair Alexander, pro bowler Elton Jenkins, you know, all pro, you know, close to Hall of Fame caliber player David Bakhtiari. Pro Bowl caliber Aaron Jones, your first round pick Lucas Van Ness, your stud playmaking wide receiver who broke out last year, Christian Watson. And I know he's back in playing, but still sort of returning from the ACL, Rashawn Gary, first round pick Eric Stokes. Yeah, the list is semi-long and you can add, you know, Zane Anderson and Luke Tenuta to that if you want. But there's one thing that, that there's the injuries there. This would feel a lot different and this is no disrespect to the other players, but it feels a whole heck of a lot different if, you know, half of those injuries are your Luke Tenuta's, your Zane Anderson's, but also like, I don't know, like an Isaiah McDuffie and like a Justin Hollins or a Royce Newman, or, you know, it's a, it's some guys that are good depth pieces, but it ultimately isn't going to kill you if they miss some games. Maybe even, you know, whomever, you guys get the point where it's one thing to have injuries, but it's another when it's just a laundry list of your best players on the team. And that's what's getting you know hard and frustrating about this is 
It's it's injuries and it's injuries to extremely important players on this roster. Now, as I mentioned, he is questionable. He did practice, so hopefully he's able to go. Hopefully it's a minor setback that they had to report because uh, of the injury designation rules, and there's no probable designation anymore, so they'd have to list him as questionable. But even still, you do not like, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere seeing Jair Alexander's name on the injury report. Meanwhile, Elton Jenkins and Zane Anderson both officially listed out. They did not practice on Friday. Now, one thing that Rob Domovsky and ESPN reported is that Elton Jenkins is not set to go on injured reserve at this point. So the thinking there would be there's the potential at least that he may not miss four games. When you play someone on IR, they need to miss at least four games. So if they don't play someone on IR, the thought is that he will hopefully or at least have a chance to come back prior to that which would lead you to believe they don't think this is a long-term serious injury if there's even the hint or thought that he might be able to play uh, within those four games. So we will see. You don't know necessarily for sure. And I mean, one thing that could be helping there is they do have the bye week early as well. So you're going to play, you know, obviously this week against uh, New Orleans and then Detroit, you've got the Raiders and then you have that bye week. So then, you know, there is the possibility that maybe he could play after the bye week and then that's still only three games that he missed. So we'll see what the, you know, the ultimate you know, determination is and when he's able to get back and play. But I guess there is some good news there that this is not a IR situation as of now. So Elton Jenkins, Zane Anderson, both listed officially as out for this game. Your questionable players, as I mentioned, Jair Alexander, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Lucas Van Aston, Christian Watson. Now, some good news here. Of all of the questionable players, David Bakhtiari was the only one not to practice in some capacity. All the rest of them were limited, but he was the only one not to practice. Now, it's not to say that that's necessarily good news, but we know that even if he was good to go 100%, he's probably not practicing on that Friday. So, you know, we'll see again what that ultimately means when the inactives come out at 10.30 a.m. Central Time on Sunday, or if we get any updates from Schefter and, and, you know, Rappaport and those guys ahead of of the game, maybe Saturday night, early Sunday morning, if any of these guys are officially going to be listed as out or not expected to play, or they get the green light and they should play. But again, I think the good news here is that Aaron Jones, Lucas Van Ness, Christian Watson, Jair Alexander all did practice in some capacity. A couple additions to this here. So, you have Jair, this is his first practice that he had any issue with, and he did, again, practice. Aaron Jones, uh, at first, it was an interesting situation. So remember, media is only open to the stretch period on Fridays. So as you're sort of like getting kicked out of the Don Hudson Center as they're finishing up stretching, you're trying to see if any of the players stay inside and get additional treatment rather than going out with the team. So we're sort of, like, sort of watching, and Christian Watson goes out with the team, great, we're good to go. And then we're watching Aaron Jones and Aaron Jones kind of had this similar situation. I I think it was last week. It had to have been last week because this was the only practice I was able to get to this week. So it was last week where he looked like he was going to go outside and then he didn't. And then it was like, oh, okay, well, we got to keep an eye on that. So we're watching him, we're watching him and it looks like he's going to go outside and then he does go outside. So we're like, all right, everyone starts tweeting out. All right, Aaron Jones is going to be practicing and he goes out with the team and everything. And as soon as those tweets go out, in comes Aaron Jones and he's stretching with a trainer again. Now, as Matt Schneidman pointed out, he did have the helmet on with the extra padding and everything, which would lead you to believe he was going to practice. And he did end up practicing in a limited capacity. But at first you're like, oh my goodness, like, is he going to practice? Is he not going to practice? And of course we get kicked out at that time. Um, but the other good news, Lucas Van Ness. He practiced all week long. 
my I would be surprised, very, very surprised if LVN did not play. And then Christian Watson practiced through the week, did not practice Thursday, got back to practicing Friday. Hopefully that is a very good sign for him. So it's really tough to say. I would lean towards LVN playing. I would lean towards Watson playing, but probably being on a snap count and limited in some capacity, probably not a full complement of snaps. Anyone's guess on David Bakhtiari, who the heck knows at this point. I would guess Jair plays, but I that one's a really tough one to predict. And I think Aaron Jones is probably the, the biggest actual questionable one of any of them. So we'll see. Again, inactives will come out 10.30 a.m. Central on Sunday, and we will see if the you know practice squad call-ups or any IR moves or anything like that give us any tells on Saturday. A couple other really quick notes on the Packers injury report. Ennis Gaines also did not practice. So he looks like he is not probably going to be able to go and he's not on the 53, so he doesn't have to have a official injury designation. But remember, first two weeks, he was the one that was called up as a core special teamer. So they're likely going to be without him and him being a core special teamer. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, Zane Anderson is out. So they're probably going to have to call back, especially with Jair also having some back issues and being questionable. My guess is they call up a corner for this game. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end, but it's worth noting that Ennis Gaines also not practicing. And then Rashawn Gary and Daniel Whalen both had injury, uh, like were on the injury report, but had no official designation. So they are going to be good to go. And this is the first time I believe that we've seen Rashawn Gary without any designation. So that is a great sign overall. Meanwhile, the Saints weren't without some significant updates to their injury report as well. Jamal Williams is out for this game. We expected that and sort of knew that earlier in the week, but he is officially out. Foster Moreau, their tight end, is listed as doubtful, so very unlikely that he plays. Ugo Amadi, their safety, is questionable. And then the big one is Paulson Adebo, their starting cornerback, who I just happen to like a lot. I think he's a really smart, really in, you know just intelligent and physical corner. Um, that is, again, their starting corner on the outside. He is questionable in this game. He had practiced all week, totally fine, not on the injury report up until Friday, and then did not practice on Friday with a hamstring injury. So uh, we will see if he's ultimately able to go on Sunday as well, but that would be a significant loss for New Orleans at that cornerback position. All right, let's go through my scouting report for the Saints in this game. Went through and watched the All-22, um, watched their first game, and then watched, uh, just on sort of the game replay, and then the, the second game on the All-22, both on offense and defense. So I want to start here with Derek Carr. Some people, big believers in Derek Carr and feel like he can still be a really good quarterback. I just happen to not be one of those people. Now, here's where I come down on Derek Carr. If he gets in his drop, three or five-step drop and rips the ball, pretty darn good quarterback. He looks good in those situations and circumstances. For every, I don't know, half a second that you make him hold the ball longer, a quarter of a second, whatever it is, every the longer he holds the ball, the better it's going to be for you more often than not. He starts to get a little scattershot and just kind of throwing the ball around. He threw an awful pick against Carolina into coverage that I just have no idea what he was seeing. And you watch him. I mentioned this on the, the members only chat on Thursday, but you watch him and from a scouting standpoint, footwork good, ball carriage good. Like he looks like a prototypical quarterback and you see him and you're like, it's tantalizing. You're like, how could this guy not be good? He just, he looks the part, it, all of it. It just, lo- it, it looks really good from a scouting standpoint. But then the further you get into the play, it's like he sees ghosts sometimes and it doesn't always tr- like translate out on the field. And like I said, if he can just get three, five step drop and rip it, that's what he wants to do. There's a little Kirk Cousins to him where if you you know get him in rhythm, you're going to be in trouble. But if he's out of rhythm and he starts moving around, you're in probably really good shape. 
So pass rush is going to be important. And it's also going to be really important to see how Joe Barry plays in this game. Now, we have to be cognizant of there's no one perfect way to play. You have to switch things up. You have to play off. You have to play press. You have to play man. You have to play zone. You have to switch things up. This is the modern NFL. This is not peewee football. If you do any one coverage over and over and over, teams are going to murder you because you are going, they're going to have man beaters, zone beaters, cover two, cover three, cover four, whatever you call. There are offenses and, and plays designed to beat those specific coverages over and over and over again that you're basically just left a blind spot. There's no perfect defense. There's no perfect coverage. If they know what's coming, they're going to draw something up to beat whatever coverage it is that you're calling. It's just as simple as that. So it's not like they can do the same thing over and over, but you don't want to just let him, you know, have that quick three-step drop and rip the ball out to his receivers and let the playmakers, the Chris Olaves, the Michael Thomases, the Juwan Johnsons, etc., do the heavy lifting for the offense. So I know there's uh you know there's times you want to be a little bit worried, especially with Chris Olave on the field, of like we don't want to give up those big explosive plays, but at the same token. You, you want to make sure that he is not just getting into a rhythm and hitting those three and five step drops, ripping the ball, five-yard completion, seven-yard completion, three-yard completion, six-yard completion, and getting in that rhythm. And we saw last week that Atlanta sort of just paper cut Green Bay to death more on the ground than anything, but just kind of spreading things out and getting the ball into the hands of their playmakers, either through just handing it off or in quick pass, you know, quick passes, etc. So you don't want to do the same thing against New Orleans and let them beat you and, and paper cut you to death. Now, you don't want to give up explosive plays either, but I think at some point you need to challenge Derek Carr to beat you down the field. And I don't know that he can do that with any level of consistency. Now, they have the playmakers on the outside, no question about it, but it, like this is where the Jair injury gets a little bit interesting because I think you trust your corners a lot more if Jair's in there. But you know what? I trust Carrington Valentine too. And I think you have to challenge these corners to go out and play great coverage against those Saints wide receivers, make Derek Carr hold the ball a little bit longer and see if your pass rushers can get home in those situations. So Derek Carr, I'll just say one more time, if he's throwing quick and in rhythm, you're in trouble. If he's holding the ball longer, you're usually going to be in a really good spot. Now, with any quarterback, if you allow them too long and you just give them all day to throw the ball and you're not getting any pressure, then of course, it's still advantage offense. But as, as soon as he doesn't have that first read and things start breaking down a little bit around him, that's when you're going to be in a really good situation and scenario with Derek Carr. Hello, friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA Finals and I desperately wanted to go to Game 6 in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane, and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye game six of the NBA Finals. Now thankfully, the day of the game I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used game time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using game time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the game time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price 
guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing, and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Number two, and I want to spend just a second talking about this is Taysom Hill. I, I, let me be totally clear on two points really quick before I talk about how I really enjoy the Taysom Hill stuff. Number one, I get from a contract standpoint, they massively overpaid that guy. And I don't know what their exact thinking was at the time. And yeah, so if, you're, if your argument is that like the return on investment for what they ultimately end up paying for Taysom Hill is just not there. I, I agree with you. They paid him far too much. It was a cool like little pet project and then he got all the money and now it's like, all right, well, now it's an overpay. Now it's a little bit not as cool because you're just paying far too much for it. However, uh, and let me say the other thing too. I also get that when you had Drew Brees, anytime you took Drew Brees off the field, it was sort of like doing you know, the defense a service because now one of the best quarterbacks in the league when he was in his prime, uh, or at least, you know, before that kind of like that final year in New Orleans, you know, you you were thankful. You didn't want to see Drew Brees on the field. So you saw Taysom Hill, you're like, oh, thank goodness, Drew Brees isn't on the field. So I get sometimes in previous years, they got a little too cute with it. And to be frank, like it lost them a game against Green Bay. Remember, Darius Smith forced that huge fumble on Taysom Hill, recovered, Green Bay got the ball, and that was really the difference in that ball game. So I do get that they've been a little bit too cute with it at times. I do get that they've overpaid it and almost made it like less, I don't know, less return on investment just because you paid so much for it. But I still think that the Taysom Hill thing, and especially the way that they're doing it right now is really cool, especially the way they're deploying it. And is a pain in the ass for defenses to have to prepare for. You know, Joe Barry said this week, it's basically like preparing for two different offenses. And just imagine like just having one offense to prepare for is bad enough. And now you basically have to have a a full different preparation for Taysom Hill. But here's where things get really cool with the way that they're utilizing it right now. A lot of times Taysom Hill comes in the game with Derek Carr in the game and it's not a tell. So in other times, like where you have like a specific designated run only quarterback or something where it can be a tell, it's not a tell right now. Just because Tate, and it, it hasn't been for some time, I get that, but it's even more so this year where with Taysom Hill, they'll bring him in, they'll use him at tight end, they'll use him as a wide receiver. This past game, they used him as a legitimate running back. Like they used him in the backfield, like they had some injuries at, at running back. They just gave him the ball as like they, they did a toss play to him, they just handed it off to him. Like he was just the running back. 
So you've got another guy that can throw on the field. You've got, he can be used at tight end. He can be used at wide receiver. They'll use him in the slot. He's a great blocker in that spot as a, a wide receiver. They'll use him as just a legitimate in the backfield running back. So a lot of times if that sort of player comes in, in most scenarios, you're like, okay, wildcat, wildcat, wildcat. We know what's coming. But with Taysom Hill, you don't. They, they could easily just be using him as a tight end or running back or a wide receiver on the play, and it has nothing to do. So you're on alert of like, all right, are they doing anything crazy on this play? Oh no, he's just a tight end. Oh no. And then when they do want to run like him as like the quarterback, a couple things. A, a lot of times Derek Carr is on the field and they'll split Carr out wide. But the, the nuance to this as well is they'll use Taysom Hill as a legitimate quarterback like he was in college. And it, just because Carr's at you know, out at wide receiver doesn't mean that they won't utilize the other side of the field and legitimately use him as a quarterback. And other times Carr will be off the field and he will be the quarterback and they'll just go classic quarterback draw stuff. They'll do some wildcat stuff, or they'll just line up traditional and let him throw the ball. So you don't know what the heck's coming. Sometimes Carr's on the field. Sometimes Carr's not on the field. Sometimes it's traditional Taysom Hill as quarterback. Sometimes it's traditional Taysom Hill as wildcat. Sometimes he's a tight end, wide receiver, slot guy, running back all over the place. And that makes it really hard for you to know up until the point where they break the huddle, what the heck's going to happen when he's in the game. And I'll just say it again. It is a huge pain in the ass to have to you know plan for because you don't know what's going to come. And they've done some really creative stuff with it and just something to earmark, all right? They had a play this week where in the red zone where Derek Carr was out wide and Taysom Hill was that quarterback and Carr is like faking to block or whatever and Taysom Hill's running right. And the corner that's covering Derek Carr just comes in and basically like pressures Taysom Hill and it was a called run play. So there was nothing that Taysom Hill was really looking for on that play. But Derek Carr, when he saw that corner release down to go at Taysom Hill, he went to the end zone and started calling for the ball. Don't be surprised if the Saints saw that on film, that the corner came down off of Derek Carr and left Derek Carr wide open in the end zone. If they don't try a similar play where they're going power run to the right with Taysom Hill, running at Derek Carr, and then Derek Carr releases up the field and he just like tosses it up to Derek Carr for a touchdown. That's going to happen. I feel like at some point this year, hopefully it's not against Green Bay, but just something to earmark there as well. But it is a very interesting package and it is very much like two offenses that Green Bay is going to have to prepare for. All right. Number three, they will do some creative stuff in the running game. They'll also just do some basic stuff, but like Green Bay loves their two defensive linemen fronts against more power running offenses. That's just what they've shown. They don't love going three or four defensive linemen. They'll show it from time to time, but they would ideally like to have Slayton and Kenny Clark hold up at the point of attack and stay in their nickel defense. Well, Carolina did a little bit of that against New Orleans. And what happened was they ran a lot of duo against them. They ran double team, double team against the two defensive tackles. And maybe it was like a tight end on one of the edge rushers. And then maybe they would read the other edge or like they would do a variety of different things. But what happened is even with Jamal Williams, like it was just, there was an easy hole there for seven yards and seeing what we saw against Atlanta last week where Green Bay struggled to hold up at the point of attack. And it wasn't these 40, 50, 60 yard runs. It was the seven, eight, three, eight, six, nine, like all of them just like solid running game or solid run play after solid run play. That's a lot of what New Orleans did against Carolina as well. So don't be surprised if you see a lot of duo, uh, double team on the tackle, double team on the tackle, and then 
you know, guards getting to the second level to pick off the linebacker. If Green Bay's not prepped and ready and playing a little bit more physical football than they did against Atlanta, you're going to see a lot more six, seven yard runs. And don't be surprised too. Taysom Hill at quarterback, they're running power right down Green Bay's throat. We saw what Green Bay did against the run again or didn't do against the run against Atlanta. New Orleans is going to test that and see if they can hold up. And if they can't, you could have another really tough game on the ground against this uh, New Orleans Saints offense this week. No Jamal Williams. And we'll talk about the other running back in just a moment, but that is going to be one to keep an eye on as well. All right. The other thing here, Jair Alexander, his injury status, again, going to be super important to this game. I really like the Jair Alexander versus Chris Olave and Razul Douglas versus Michael Thomas matchups. I think those make a ton of sense. Now, New Orleans is going to send guys in motion and make it so that it's not quite that easy, especially if you're in zone coverage. But I still like lining up against those players more often than not. If they motion, then you're going to have to figure things out. But uh, I do think those matchups are not too bad for Green Bay, assuming Jair can play. Olave is super talented. Michael Thomas is coming back from that injury and looks pretty darn good. But Thomas is more of that like physical possession wide receiver. And, you know, I know it's Lant King, whatever we want to call him, but uh, Razul, I like that matchup. And then Jair against Alave. Alave is going to gain separation and win with quickness and agility. And that's what Jair is, is known for. So I don't mind those matchups for Green Bay. Speaking of which, I do think taking away Chris Alave in this game is going to be a huge portion. Now, stopping the run we talked about already, but Olave is their playmaker. He's the guy that can get open downfield, separate, and make those big explosive plays. And that's something that you cannot live with this week against New Orleans is giving up those big explosive plays. So I do think you have to have a plan for Chris Olave, maybe making sure you're keeping a little bit of an extra safety over the top of him when need be, especially if Jair is not able to go in this game for some reason. Uh, but yeah, Chris Olave, earmark him. He's kind of got to be the guy that you make sure does not get those big explosive plays. I want to talk about Kendra Miller as well, because there's no tape on him this year because he hasn't played in the regular season. He's a rookie third round pick, if I remember correctly. He is a very fun running back, and there's some legitimate Aaron Jones to his game when I watched him on tape in college. And this is going to be his first opportunity. New Orleans needs some juice at that position. Even with Jamal in there, uh, some of the other guys that they've had with no Kamara yet, because he's still suspended. With no Kamara, they need some juice. I think Kendra Miller can give them some juice. This is the classic of, you know, nobody's going to really know too much about Kendra Miller going into this game and then watch him run for like 100 yards and two touchdowns because that's what usually happens against Green Bay. I'm not speaking it into existence. I don't hope that it happens, but uh, watch out for Kendra Miller. I think he could have a big game if they give him the bulk of those carries. They're probably going to split it up a little bit, especially with Miller making his first, you know, appearance coming off of injury. But he's going to be a player that Green Bay is going to have to make sure doesn't get going and gain any traction and rhythm in the running game. And then watch out for Juwan Johnson as well. Big red zone threat. He hasn't really got going too much so far this season, but in the red zone, he can be a pretty big and uh, imposing target. They'll give him some jump balls. And he also knows how to separate pretty well uh, also. So watch out for some of those linebacker and safety matchups against Juwan Johnson, specifically in the red zone. All right. From a defensive side of things for New Orleans, they're as advertised. They are fast and they are physical. And I will also say they are extremely intelligent. So this is a team that's very assignment sure, that knows what they're doing. They have a lot of veterans on this defense from Cam Jordan to Carl Granderson to um, Marshawn Lattimore to Mario Davis. Like they're just stacked. Honey Badger, just so many veterans on this team and they are very sound and assignment sure and will be exactly where they're supposed to be. And what happens more often than not in the NFL is you win on other teams' mistakes. Sometimes it's a play that your guy made, but it's it's increasingly harder and harder to make big plays against you know NFL defenses, especially when they're keeping so many guys back and making sure they can't beat you with big plays. Now, 
There's exceptions. We've seen the Christian McCaffrey's, the Tyreek Hills, the superstars of the world that can make those plays. But more often than not, when you get big plays, it's due to a, a opposing team's mistake. They blew an assignment, something like that. And you just don't see that very much from the Saints defense. Um, one thing I do think you can beat them with is intermediate crossers. They cover the deep field pretty well. They cover the short field pretty well. But that intermediate part, and Green Bay loves those intermediate crossers, whether it's to Luke Musgrave, Christian Watson, if he's available, Jaden Reed, they'll use, Romeo Dobbs, like they'll use all those guys in that capacity. So I do think Green Bay can have some success with the intermediate crossing routes and, uh, you know, hopefully connect on some of those. It's been a throw that Jordan's had a little bit of trouble with from time to time. He's been really good so far overall, but those crossing routes, especially the intermediate and deep ones, giving him a little bit of trouble. So he's going to need to be accurate on those because I do think those are some of the plays that can come open against this Saints defense. Um, I do think there's going to be some opportunities to scramble for Jordan Love as well. The Saints team will bring pressure. They will get a little bit out of some gaps and alleys from time to time. And if so, I think Jordan Love has the opportunity to sort of beat him with them uh, with his legs, excuse me. They are also ultra aware of screen passes. So I mentioned they're really good in short passing game. Like they are, they will jump all over those. Demario Davis and their their defensive linemen too will get out there and cover it. Like they're not going to be fooled by that stuff. So if you're hoping to get some easy yardage off of a simple screenplay, you're going to have to really come up with something creative because more often than not, the Saints are going to be all over those. The, I do think the Marcus May suspension has the potential to be pretty big for New Orleans, especially if you couple it with Paulson Adebo's injury. And if he's not able to go, now you get a little bit more inexperience and just less talent in that secondary and maybe a few more opportunities to hit some big plays. Marcus May is a really good safety, good against the run, good against the pass. And his being out is going to hurt New Orleans in this game, no question about it. And the last couple things, I do think this is a Saints defense that you cannot leave points on the field. We saw it against Atlanta where they get to the 28-yard line. They go backwards. You have the five-yard penalty on special teams. They punt instead of kicking the 56-yarder and you get nothing out of it. That can't happen against New Orleans. Their defense is too sound, too smart, too good, too fast, where if you get opportunities to score, you better score. Red zone offense is going to be of the utmost importance. If you do get inside the 20, you got to find a way to punch it in the end zone. If you do get to their side of the field, you do got to find a way to come up with points. If you leave points on the board and uh, you know all of a sudden you go for it on fourth and goal and don't get it or end up with a turnover or a missed field goal, whatever it may be. This is going to be another one of those very tough physical one possession games one way or the other, and you're going to need those points on the board. So that's going to be another thing uh, against a Saints defense. It's going to be ultra important. Lastly, I do think that this is a Saints team that overall is playing with a ton of confidence. They're 2-0 on the season. They've got a lot of swagger on defense. They know they're physical. They know they're fast. They know they're smart. And they're going to make you go the distance of the field without making mistakes. The matchup between this really young Packers offense against this really experienced Saints defense is going to be one that's really fun to watch. Green Bay has the playmakers. They have the playmaking. uh, But the Saints defense is going to make you earn it every step of the way. That's my scouting report. I will have all the keys to the game and predictions on tomorrow's episode. So make sure to check that out as well. Some call-ups, I mentioned this kind of teased a little bit earlier. I would assume Patrick Taylor probably still gets the call up one way or the other. And then look for Corey Ballantyne, maybe Keandre Thomas, but I would expect a little bit more of a veteran presence. Again, Jair's banged up and you don't know even if he does play, if he's going to make it through the game. So having another veteran corner that you could go to if you absolutely needed to in case of emergency is important. And with no Ennis Gaines, no Zane Anderson, and um, you know, I, I think they'll probably go with a, a special teams guy and Corey Ballantyne, very good special teams player. So I would expect Ballantyne to be one of the call-ups. And unless like they put Zane Anderson on IR and just move Patrick Taylor to the active roster, 
I would kind of expect Patrick Taylor to get called up one way or the other in this game. So that's my prediction, but we'll see what happens on Saturday. I'll be right back here tomorrow to cover everything for you guys, including those call-ups and any moves that happened on Saturday, any late injury news. And of course, we will preview the game and go through all the key matchups on Sunday morning, as well as my official predictions. If you're interested in becoming a Packaday podcast member, make sure to check out that membership. You can hit join on the bottom or on the button right below, and you can find out all of those tiers, starter, Pro Bowl, All Pro, and uh, Hall of Fame levels. Very creative, I know, but make sure to check those out. As always, a huge shout out to our Hall of Fame members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Shea Bradad, Arnoldo Espinoza, Boom Handle, and Jennifer Wright. Appreciate you guys a ton. I'll see you guys tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.